This program is made possible by FortFamily.com F-O-R-T-F-A-M-L-Y Because there is no I in family. And with local contributions from listeners like you. Thank you. Last time on Midwestern Pulp. Donnie is a person who presumably lives on the island, though I have seen a car that looks just like his on the ferry. He drives a crummy old Buick that he just loves. It has a sticker on the back window that from a distance looks like a Freemason's compass, but up close it's just drawings of male genitals in the shape of a Freemason's compass. This monster of a person is always wearing a knee-length fur coat in the middle of the summer. Donna is 49 years young, a mother of two, engaged to her second husband, and on a low-key bachelorette party with some of her bitches. Well, this isn't exactly what I wanted. Oh, yeah? Well, what exactly do you want? Oh, I think you know exactly what I want. I'm Mick Fox. With me, as always, is Molly. And this is Midwestern Pulp. Tracy. It's 1992. My mother, 20, and my father, just 21, bungee corded me in my car seat to the center console of a 1982 Chrysler LeBaron convertible. I, myself, am 19 months old and quite mature for my age. We're going to a place called the Horseshoe. People around here call it Shoes. It's a bar in the shape of a horseshoe, hence the name, and in the middle of the horseshoe-shaped building, there are a few picnic tables and a horseshoe pit. Horseshoes is a game where two teams throw horseshoes back and forth at two middle stakes sticking up out of the ground. A horseshoe pit would be the field in which the two teams play horseshoes. The object of the game is to get intoxicated with your friends while throwing metal objects. Shoes is a concept that would make more sense in Texas. But here we are, an hour and a half southeast of Detroit in the middle of a cornfield. We're here because my parents are meeting up with some friends friends they went to high school with. Some of these people are mere acquaintances to me, but some of them I know quite well. These good friends of my parents are the type that I, later in life, when I can talk, will refer to as Uncle Bo or Aunt Deb. These names are just examples. I do not have an Uncle Bo or an Aunt Deb. The Uncle Bo's and Aunt Deb's in my life are great. They're nice to me. They talk to me like a person despite the fact that I am a child. They're great. And as a child, other than legal relation-level family, Bo's and Deb's may be the only people that I truly love. Now, Uncle Bo's and Aunt Deb's don't necessarily need to be partners. Uncle Bo and Aunt Deb can function as separate entities. They may not even be close friends, but if they're not close friends, they are usually friends by proxy because of my parents. The only issue with the Uncle Bo's and the Aunt Deb's is that they aren't in the same phase of life as my parents. This isn't a bad thing, it just affects the longevity of my relationship with them. The trajectory of the Uncle Bo's and the Aunt Deb's can go in a few different directions. A. Bo and Deb will entertain the idea of, but later mutually realize that they shouldn't be together. They will keep up with my parents separately, but once my parents have another kid, or Bo and Deb find partners of their own, the amount of time that passes in between our little get-togethers will increase despite the fact that when we do see each other, they say things like, I'll call you, we need to do this more often. B, Bo and Deb will date for longer than they should. 
They will have a great season, a lot of passionate conversations. But all good things come to an end. One of them, and only one of them, will be determined to make it work, despite the fact that they both know that it's probably not in the cards, and things will end dramatically. One of them will end up with a motorcycle, it could be either of them really, and one will end up living at my parents' house for a couple months, could also go either way. But once the drama has subsided, they will abruptly detach from my parents because they associate my folks and their stability with this former life, a life they're trying desperately to forget. Or C. A few years down the line, Bo and Deb will realize that they should be together after all. Things are great. We meet up with them on a regular basis. They babysit me so my folks can go out. It's great. But after their honeymoon phase is over, they decide that they want to start a family of their own. And at this point, I'm probably five years old, and I've got at least two younger siblings. My parents are all corn-fed, Catholic, fertile. And we're happy to hang out with Bo and Deb and the new baby for a bit. But I've got a t-ball game. I'm in kindergarten. i got a full-time job. I've got kids of my own, for Christ's sake. We're busy. And Deb wants to move back to Sandusky to be closer to her parents. And Sandusky's not far, but we still don't see them as often. And when we do see them, they say things like, I'll call you. We should do this more often. I miss my Uncle Bo's and Aunt Deb's. Those were good times. But like I said, all good things must come to an end. And honestly, around here, all good things must come to an end. Could be a banner that hangs over an overpass on I-75. And hell, if it's a pedestrian overpass, the high school cheerleaders could spell it out in those colorful plastic cups in the chain link fence. And that'd be really nice. That'd look really nice. So, I'm at shoes with my parents, Bo, Deb, and a few other randos. It's a strangely warm day in late winter. St. Patrick's Day decorations are up around the bar. Shiny vinyl clovers cover the windows around the entrance. And as a a one-and-a-half-year-old, I love shiny vinyl clovers. Honestly, they're the only reason I come to this place. As a baby, I'm not strong enough for horseshoes. And once they started carting me at the bar, I was like, forget this, but the decorations are great. Truth be told, it's probably a little cold to be sitting outside, but after being cooped up all winter, people will do anything to get out of the house. It's one of those rare, only partly cloudy days, and plenty of other people appear to have the same idea we did because the place is slammed. I see my mother look at my father with her, are we actually going into this bar with this baby right now sort of face? My father looks at her with his, are you going to make me tell our friends that we're not showing up for my own fucking birthday party because you don't want to take our baby into this bar face? There's a standoff for a second, but my father takes control of the situation. He knows that he's accepting liability if my mother has a bad time, but he's young and confident and willing to take the risk. You really did a good job with that that bit right there. You like that? Yeah. I feel like I'm reading too fast. No, but that's based on real life. Yeah. My mother looking at my father going, it's about me and you on your birthday. And I had the baby and it was your birthday. And I'm like, shout out, shout out Smith and Lentz, Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. It was a Preds game. It was so fucking loud. Gosh. Gosh. And I was worried, but, but here we are. Here we are. We made it. Roscoe's ears are fine. He's fine. He's fine. Was it because you thought it was too loud? It was way too loud. I was so stressed. He's a baby. I know. He's fine. Yeah. He's pretty loud now, but not not as loud as the. It's probably because he can't hear because of that Preds game. The dude is way louder. All right. All right. Where are we at? I'm gonna cough. <laughs> <coughs> okay. Christ. Okay. They don't always have cake at shoes, 
but they do today, and that's nice. Bo puts some candles in it and makes my dad blow them out. He acts like he's embarrassed, but he's not. Then, through the crowd of people, emerges this woman with large eyelashes, large breasts, and extra large hair. She carries a large fishbowl-sized green drink with a big crazy straw in it. I assume it must be for me because people are always handing me big, colorful, crazy-looking things to play with. But she places it in front of my father and with a smoke-stained voice says, This fruity one's for the birthday boy. The table laughs. My father says, Thanks, Tracy, and acts like he's embarrassed, but he's not. He likes fruity drinks. Bo gives him a hard time for not drinking beer like the rest of his part of the country, but my dad has a sweet tooth, and as a 21-year-old who doesn't have a care in the world about his blood sugar or diabetes or anything, it's 1992, and everything is great. The woman sets five more beers down on the table. She pulls them seemingly out of thin air. Then, gesturing towards Bo, says, This guy's got the tab, right? Again, the table laughs. Bo responds with a laughter filled, No, no, no. The woman leans down towards my mother, who's holding me, and says in a hushed tone just loud enough for everyone to hear, You got the good one, baby. My mother laughs. The whole table laughs. The woman bends down to my level and says, You take care of your mama, sweetie. She's the only one you got. She then stands, looks at my father, says, Hold on. Happy birthday, baby. And walks away. The crowd parts for her once again. This woman, Tracy, within 45 seconds charmed an entire party of people, including my mother, who is not the easiest charmee. She did this while simultaneously working through a large crowd of people carrying six or more drinks, lightly insulting the masculinity of multiple people and speaking kindly and gesturing kindly and generously to a baby and his young mother. That was a fumble, but... You got it. I'm choked up. Tracy's the type of person who takes ownership and pride in whatever situation she finds herself in. Fortunately for this town, Tracy finds herself in the position of running a bar and restaurant that was opened by her father, Don, in the mid-70s. She worked there as a girl, paying her way through college, marriage, and a divorce. And here she is now running the place, her two daughters, Megan and Brianne, walking in her footsteps. Her confidence and looks bring plenty of unwanted attention from a number of strange men that walk through the door. Legend has it, she's been proposed to over 200 times, and though she doesn't need it, she has insulated herself with a number of very protective regulars who would do absolutely anything short of killing their own mother for her. She does not forget a face. She may misplace a name, but will find it by your second or third drink. She writes poetry on the side just for her. She closes the restaurant once a year while giving all her employees a full week's pay. She cooks a big dinner and stays open to 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Then everyone in the bar stumbles down the street for Christmas Eve midnight mass. She'd smoke anybody at horseshoes. She'd drink a man three times her size under the table. She'd check somebody's ego like a boxer, then pick him up, dust him off, and say... It's okay, baby. She's a hero. Tracy's the type of person I want to grow up to be. And as much as I like Uncle Bo and Aunt Deb, sometimes I just wish my folks would leave me at leave me with Tracy at the bar. And if I wasn't 19 months old, I'd ask her to marry me just like everybody else. Thanks for listening. Join us next time or go ahead and read ahead. You can find Midwestern Pulp, A Love Letter to Lake Erie by Mick Fox at your local independent bookstore or online at fortfamily.com. That's F-O-R-T-F-A-M-L-Y. Because there is no I in family. And hey, if you're listening to this on a 
freaky little podcasted platform, your little Apple Music, your little Spotify's, go ahead and smash that subscribe button. Go ahead and give us a nasty, dirty little rating. Write a na- write, write a nasty little note. Some some sort of review they had to take down. That's that's what we want. That's what everybody wants. Really, you know what I mean? We'll see you next time. Love you guys. Thank you.